It's Monday, October 24th, and it's my birthday. So happy birthday to me. We have Christine Wansleben of Mise en Place on the show. Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Virginia, your number one podcast source for food news and interviews with the people who make Virginia restaurants great. Follow us on social media at Eat in Virginia and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. My name is Scott Wise and I am joined as always by my friend, my friend, the birthday girl, Roby Martin. Roby, I feel like you're going to ask me a question to get this podcast started. Name three places that you can eat in Chaco Bottom. I do not like it when she springs these questions <laughs> on me. It is not cool. Three places that I can eat in Chaco Bottom. Yeah, in any year in the last, let's say, 25 years. Okay, well, there's Bottoms Up. Okay. Pizza. I can definitely eat there. Um, there's Havana 59. I can definitely eat there. Um, Chaco Bottom or Chaco Slip? Does it matter? Oh, just no, it's definitely Chaco Bottom. Chaco Bottom, okay. Um, well, let's just say Hot Chick. A relatively new restaurant. Let's just say that the guest we have today could probably name some restaurants, good restaurants, because she has been in Chaco Bottom for over 20 years with me some plus. It's Christine Wansleben. Name three that you could eat at the good ones. They don't have to be open still. Native Plate. Nice. That's open now in the Old Citizen. That is open now. Correct. Mm -hmm. In the Old Citizen. Sefton Coffee. I do Ooh, like to go yes. in there. Oh, she's so great. Yes, I love going in there, even though there is another coffee shop that steps from my place, but I'd rather take the little walk. And there are so many new What do you miss? Places. You gotta miss one. You've been where you are for how many years? Uh, so this year finishes up my 18th year of business. So I've probably been there almost 19 years. 19 years in Chaco Bottom. Let's just walk through your trajectory on how you got there because there was an 11 Madison Park stint. There was. So let's see, how far back do you want to go? Well, how did Um, you get into food? Yeah. How'd your parents meet? (laughs) That goes way back. Uh, So growing up in a small town in New Hampshire, my mom, um, who to this day, mom, I love you, but she did not cook to feed us. She cooked because... That's what she had to do, right? So it wasn't anything special. You had your typical New England pot roast and, um, you know, my dad would Onion powder that they put on top of it. Yeah, in the plastic bag, Mm -hmm. um, which was Super brown. And we probably really didn't know that much better then. Um, You know, again, small town, not really a lot of choices when it came to, to food. Um, I definitely remember going down into the basement and getting cans of like white potatoes, which now just puts my hair on end. And I think that's why my younger brother and I are such food people. You know, he is, talk about, he is farm to field to table just naturally. His garden's amazing. His, you know, he hunts, he fishes. Anyway, long story short, went to college um, at Syracuse, graduated with a degree in, woohoo, go orange, Orange. Uh, graduated with a a degree in retail and marketing and started working for fashion houses like uh, 
Ann Taylor, I worked for Liz Claiborne, um, all on the manufacturing side, which was great. I, I certainly learned a lot, but after a while I realized that really wasn't where I want, I saw my boss and I didn't want to be her. I didn't want to be her commuting in from Connecticut every morning and that just wasn't what I like to do. So I started cooking. I was living in a very, very small studio apartment on the Upper West Side in Manhattan. But my kitchen was really just part of a hallway. So there was no, I had no counter space. My oven was a tiny, tiny little oven. My refrigerator was the size of a dorm refrigerator. So I had like no space, but I did have the 1987 Good Housekeeping cookbook <laughs> that my parents gave me when I went to college. And I love, I still have it. It has, you know, the first 25 pages are all the photos and then of what it's supposed to look like. And then it has the recipes. And in the back, it tells you, you know, about table etiquette. And not that I was entertaining in my studio, but for me, I wasn't making a lot of money. So I really couldn't afford to go out to eat all the time. But I lived a block away from Citarella, from, um, Fairway, which at that point, Fairway was just really a fruit and vegetable stand. You know, now it has meats and seafood. But I could get things like artichokes, like two for $3 or something really inexpensive. I could get a pound of mussels for five bucks. And I could make it so that it lasted me a couple of days, all from that book. So that was kind of, I guess, really my inspiration. So I, want, I had finished paying off my college loans. Yay. Yay. And so I had some money and I said, you know, I want to try, I want to try my hand at cooking. Um, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to do it as a profession. Um, so I looked for some culinary schools that I could go to at night um, while I was working during the day. So at least I was making some money while I was uh, going to school. So I found a small school. Um, it's called, well, it was then called Peter Kump's School of Cookery, and it was in a brownstone on the Upper East Side. So, that sounds like Hogwarts to me. Right? The School of Cookery. You had That's to go right. into in platform eight and a half. I think so. And robes, right? <laughs> I mean, there well, was we wand. did have there the was white, wands. Right. We did have the white, you know, chef coats and toques, so I guess that was sort yeah. of a costume. Um, but it was. It was in an old brownstone. Of course, now it's called the Institute of Culinary Education, and it's two blocks long in, in lower Manhattan. So it's, it's huge now. But I loved going to school at night. And I went for three nights a week from 6 to 11 p.m. And it was great because it, I had already gone to college. So I didn't need to go. Say, go orange. CIA. Say that again. That's right. Go orange. Woo Can you tell he's a fan of Syracuse? I couldn't tell. Could you tell? <laughs> and it's, well, flashback, the campus has changed since I graduated a long time yes, ago. Yes, I graduated, I graduated a long time ago as well, and I went up, I brought my kids there maybe five years ago. No one likes Scott because he different. looks like he's 15 still, so I just want to go down, down the road when he says a long time ago. I know. It makes me want to punch my own face. <laughs> That's how much it is. Yeah, and here how I young am he looks. looking up YouTube you know, makeup tutorials for women over 50. <laughs> Dude, I mean, same. While Scott's like zero wrinkles and loads of hair, it's very upsetting. Anyway, I know. That's we, not I digress. Fair. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's not fair. Uh, so, yeah, I loved 
cooking school. Um, it was made up of a group of other adults, all who had other jobs during the day, and people who really wanted to be there. Um, whether they wanted to change their professions or not, it was just a really, really fun group of people and and. You know, one of them, a couple of them I still keep in touch with, actually. Um, and not everybody had planned on going into food, and I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. So went through school. It was a seven-month program. Of course, now everything is years long. Um, but it was a seven-month program, and then to get your certificate, you had to do um, an internship with I love a that. restaurant. Right. And I was not all about the French sauces and, and the techniques and everything. I really wanted to work for like an American, a good um, American, whatever that is, you know, American style restaurant like La with Larry Forgione or, you know, um, or somebody in, in Manhattan. But it, suddenly I got the opportunity to work uh, for David Waltuck and his wife at Chanterelle. And that is a four star or was a four star French restaurant down in Tribeca, um, beautiful 60-seater restaurant. And I thought, I can't pass up this I, opportunity. You couldn't, no. You know, and the kitchen, it, very, very small, uh, two stories. But you were used to that, coming super from your tiny. studio yes. apartment. So I was used to that. And, of course, I was in my early 30s, you know, at this point. Um, but I was new in the industry, so I said, you know, if I'm going to learn from somebody, this is who I'm going to learn from. Um, and it was a very quiet kitchen. There was maybe four people on the line, but the food was incredible. Um, and even the camaraderie. So sometimes like they would be friends with their friends with their neighbors at Montrachet. So sometimes they needed oh, a wine that they didn't have, but we had or ingredients. And so you really, I started to understand that food culture a little bit. And I thought, okay, I think this is what I want to do. So from there, a friend of mine from culinary school got me a job um, at uh, a, another restaurant in the Flatiron District called the Flatiron Baking and Cooking Company or restaurant or something. Anyway, it was owned by a gentleman who had many restaurants in, in New York and, you know, opened up these big places. So I took the job and I started out like most people do just in salads and, and cold apps and brunch and, and that type of stuff. And um, I left my my Ann Taylor job and, and uh, you know, gave them my notice. And, um, of course, my parents are like, oh, four years at Syracuse and you're going to make salads. You know, <laughs> great. There's my parents didn't say anything, but it's a podcast. So <laughs> right? Oh, you know, right? I think you my got parents more don't listen salads. to this podcast, right. so they don't know that I do it. No, you know, no insurance, <laughs> no paid vacation, no benefits. Um, but I was like, well, you know, what the heck? Um, so that's really kind of where it started. And I ended up doing all sorts of things from there. Um, when that restaurant closed down, and this is what many people do, do do as well, you go with the chef to wherever he's going. So there was this, you know, restaurant that was already well established and it had a promoter, but the chef was going to the Seychelles, so they needed a whole new team. So from there, I went to this place. This was probably, you know, one of the worst run restaurants I have ever stepped. It had everything. It had drug problems. It had mouse problems. It had mob problems. I mean, you want to talk about, you know, working for a place that had every single 
story that a restaurant has. You know, this was a place when somebody ODs, how do you get them, you know, how do you get them out when you only have one entrance and exit without everybody seeing or... Ooh, how do you do that? Uh, Just- very discreetly. <laughs> and it was also... Very carefully. Right, and when, you know, all of a sudden the kitchen staff is responsible for helping the two owners who, as many people know, people who are not in Food should not open a restaurant. And this was these were brothers who just liked the paparazzi. They liked that celebrities came. Um, they couldn't really, they didn't care about the food. Uh, they didn't care about the mice problems. And they didn't care that it, maybe it doesn't make sense that you have a wooden floor in your walk-in. Oh, no, not good. And that you replace it with more wood. And here I am so green in the industry, like I can't tell anybody what to do. But that was a crazy, crazy place. And then you just hop from place to place. I worked in a um, specialty grocery store as the cheese person um, when I lived in Forest Hills in Queens. Um, I worked as a private chef for one woman um, who lived on Central Park South, and to cook three meals a day for one person is extremely boring. Um, but I made an incredible amount of money, so I wasn't going to say anything. Um, and I should write. I should write a book about this person. I do Google search her every now and then because I think I was the one employee that did not sign an NDA. Oh, um, someone that we would know. No, but she is married now she was at the time she was 45 single and not happy about it oh gosh yeah um a lot of medications um you know sometimes we would have to kick the door open to make sure that she was okay the od training paid off though yes i felt Mm. bad you know this was someone who had everything at her fingertips um but didn't enjoy it Sure. Didn't enjoy it at all. Um, she, you know, had HEPA filters everywhere because she didn't um, – she lived in, in Manhattan, right? She was on the 20th floor facing Central Park, right? She had – her apartment was older, but she owned two apartments, um, one where her assistants ran her day-to-day stuff. Brilliant woman, um, but just a sad yeah. – you know, kind of sad yeah. life. And then – what did you make for her? Like, what were some of the uh, and she was vegetarian specialties? She did not have a microwave because she didn't like the rays. Um, I couldn't make anything that had to be reheated in in the oven because she did not like really. So work what'd you make? The oven. I made like black bean burgers. I would make a lot of muffins. Um, anything that she had to reheat on the stovetop would she would destroy the pan. It would just be destroyed. Um, salmon. But it's it's hard to be creative every five days a week for one person without having leftovers. So I understand it is hard to cook for one or two without having you know, sure. a ton of, of leftovers. So then as time progressed, um, yes, I had the opportunity. I was working at a restaurant atop the Hilton Hotel in Times Square, but it wasn't the hotel restaurant. Um and that was fun. I was working with someone that I had worked with before, and that was a lot of fun. And Danny Meyer was opening uh, two restaurants, 11 Madison Park, and then in the same building on the other side was Tabla, um, which was a French-inspired Indian restaurant. Fabulous. And very, very sad to hear that 
the chef Floyd Cardo's passed away from COVID um, early on when COVID started. But anyway, I had the opportunity to um, apply, and then I got accepted, and I joined the team, the opening team of Eleven Madison. Park. You opened Eleven Madison Park. Yeah. Well, I was just one of the. Cooks. But that's still cool. It was very cool. I I felt it was something I couldn't pass up. Uh, one to work for a Danny Meyer establishment, sure, um, and to work in a restaurant where everything is top of the line and there's anticipation. What was opening night like there? Do you recall? It was very intense. They also had the private dining. Gorgeous. It's still a gorgeous restaurant. Um, I'm not sure about the whole vegan vibe that it has now, but beautiful restaurant, beautiful equipment, um, but very nerve wracking because this is the busiest restaurant that I've ever worked at. So we could definitely do, you know, two to 300 covers in a couple of hours on a Friday or Saturday night. So of course, you know, other chefs from the city are, are coming in and, um, you know, talking to, you know, our head chef, Carrie Heffernan and, and our sous chef and everybody else. And of course, Danny Meyer, and then the whole front of the staff, you know, front of the house staff. It was just as, Danny Meyer told all of us before our New York Times review um, that you're all part of a jazz ensemble, right? And and I know he probably says this in all of his books as well, too. Uh, but we all play our part. And if we don't, then you hear that, you know, squeak of the clarinet or we're just off key. So we all have to work together. I mean, in the lines, um, it was it's just it was just a wonderful experience to work for just a beautiful, you know, well-anticipated restaurant. And the food was great. Was there anybody who came in that you were nervous to cook for, prepare, like any celebrities or big-name well, chefs? Well, you never really knew. Well, sometimes, obviously, the servers would say, you know, this ticket is for, you know, whoever. Share. Um, I do Sifton. remember, I re we also had a gorgeous private dining room upstairs, which was a lot of fun to work in because then you and, you know, one of the other cooks we were the chefs. So, but you could look down on the restaurant. I do remember the night that when Julia Roberts was dating Benjamin Bratt, um, when they were in there. Of course, we're all like looking out the- Of course, I would have been even too. Even though you live in New York City and you see celebrities sure. on mm -hmm. the subway, right? Sure. You just see them around. Um, you know, I used to live, my first apartment in New York, um, right across the hall was Jerry Orbach. Yeah. You remember him from Law & Order? Of course. Yeah, he was, you know, we'd go get the paper- talk about the weather or whatever. So you just see people. Um, but that was really cool. But then when other chefs like Marcus Samuelson would come in or um, all of Danny Meyer's restaurants, his 11 Madison Park and Tabla, we had, I guess, kind of fatherly chefs overseeing. So um, Chef Michael from Union Square Cafe was kind of overseeing Tabla, and then Chef Tom Calicchio from, at that time, was at Gramercy Tavern. Right. And would kind of help guide 11 Madison Park, I guess. So he made all of Nobody us. Nobody knows who those guys are. None of them are on TV or anything like that. No, so. they're not. Yeah. You know, <laughs> famous people or anything. Um, so, yeah, it's just like seeing those so people, cool. you're still like, wow. Sure. That was the one thing that I missed when I came to Richmond was that energy. 
there's just nothing like New York City. Sure, of course not. There's nothing like living in New York City. There's nothing like being, there's no other place like it in the world. And when you're in the food and and beverage scene, it, you just, you know, where do you go after work? You know, there's so, we'd go to Koreatown. You know, there's so many places to go late night for amazing food. Sure. So you miss. So why the heck did you come to Richmond then? I know, right? What, what happened? <laughs> What's that story? Why are you here? It's so expensive in New York. Uh. Anyway, um, so at the time, my um, my husband, now ex-husband, but uh, we were, we wanted to start a family. You know, we had both, I had been there for, you know, just about 10 years, and he had been there for longer than that. Uh, and uh, of course, we did, I grew up in New England, so I didn't know anything further south than New Jersey, sure. right? Um but we had friends who had moved to Richmond from Queens to be closer to family. And they kept saying, come down, come on down, come on down. So we actually took about six months of coming back and forth. Sometimes we'd stay with them. Sometimes we'd just come down on our own. What, what year is this around? 2000. Okay. Because we moved here in 2001. So 2000. Checking out the food scene. I started subscribing to Richmond Magazine, uh, you know, checking out the top caterers because we figured that it had a decent enough food scene at the time that we could both come down. We both came down without jobs. You know, he too is in the food and beverage industry, uh, front of the house. So we figured, okay, we can come down here and we can. Do you, you remember know, at that time what restaurants or, or- Businesses like we're, we're jumping out at you as like this well, is proving we to me did that go and eat at the Frog and the Redneck, but at that time in two thousand, it was on the decline. It was on the decline for being one of the top restaurants. I wasn't that impressed when every entree had the same side dish. I was like, oh, I was a little. Okay. And then of course we had to. We had to eat at um, the tobacco company because uh, that was kind of a, a thing that you do. But we noticed that it had the museums, right? It had the parks. Um, so when raising children, um, you know, we thought that that was a great idea. So came down here in 2001, a, mo- a month before 9-11, mm. which was horrifying to watch it from from here um, and not being able to reach any of my friends and family up there. So that was pretty traumatic. And I started just doing some daytime gigs with uh, Caterade and with a sharper palette. And over time, uh, sharper palette just kept calling me in. And I, at that time I could actually walk to a sharper palette. So it worked out very well because we moved down here without a, Without a car. Sure. None of us. We didn't need a car in Manhattan. And my husband didn't even know how to drive. So, you know, that's a very typical New York story. Sure. So it worked out really well. And, uh, yeah, and Tuffy and and Tim Clinton, who was working there at the time, just called me and said, hey, you know, do you just want a job? It could be because you're here almost every day. I was like, great. So that was my introduction to Richmond food. Um, Tuffy Stone's such a good introduction, though. He was a great, he had, you know, not only do so many great food professionals and chefs come through there and help out, but it also allowed me to learn Richmond and what people like to eat. Um, Was it, I mean, obviously it's a huge difference from fine dining in New York to, to Richmond parties, but 
What was like? What was, yeah, was what was the culture shock like for you? Coming into the sober ballot and, like, and having to do crab cakes deviled and pimento eggs. cheese and deviled eggs. Uh, I had never made so many ham biscuits in my darn life. And, <laughs> and it's did, the salty ham. And being a Yankee, I did not even know what these things were. I'm like, people love, love their ham, ham biscuits. That's insane. It is in... And they're little ones, too. They're not even like full biscuits. You got to have the tiny bites out. So it's right. been 20 years. Do you, have you seen the light? Or are you still... Are you into questioning ham biscuits now? Because if you're questioning, we can end this They're interview fine, right now. But I'm definitely more of a you know either early bird biscuit. Mm-hmm. Like it's got to be a big. She wants a fancy fluffy, biscuit. Fancy biscuit. You the know. White House rolls aren't doing it for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like it's it it was different. Um, learning the neighborhoods, right? You know that is certainly different. But just being part of that culture um with a sharper palate you know it's such a sharply run machine you know it is a fine machine and they've been going strong for now over 30 years and Mm -hmm. when i worked with with tuffy and the team he had just started toying with the barbecue stuff um so that was kind of at the tail end of my career with a sharper palate and my teaching classes actually started with a sharper palate because Tuffy would often teach classes at complete gourmet in Carytown. Right. Um, and so there would be times when he or Tim couldn't do it. So he would ask either myself, um, or sometimes me and one of my, um, co-chefs, uh, Valeria Flynn, sometimes we'd go in there and teach it for him. And that's what inspired me to, look into opening Mise en Place because there was no freestanding place to take the classes on a recreational basis. I didn't want to sell any product. I had already, I worked for a store called Broadway Panhandler in Manhattan, which is very similar to what Complete Gourmet was. Um, so I didn't want to sell retail. I didn't want to get out of that retail. Um, but that was my inspiration for uh, starting to look for a spot where I could offer those classes. And that's how you ended up where you are now. Yes. Uh, so originally it was myself and Val who were looking to open this business. And then life changes and she's, you know, pulled out from the project. And I said, well, I'm going to keep on going sure. with this. And again, still no children, no family to worry about. So my friend Ellie Bash... Um, would do private cooking classes and dinners for my current landlord, um, Tommy Ash, and he owns several buildings down in the Slip. And um, so she mentioned to him that I was looking for a space. So the where I am now, that company, uh, Virtus, was a computer graphic printing company who were then moving to um, a space below Hanasushi around the corner. And he said, well, this space has opened up. And yeah, then and that's that's the beginning of the beginning. That's the beginning. So I started build out. There, but no money, but I started build out. So where she's located, if you're not familiar with Richmond, it's very near the Martin Agency, that right there. And then like that little like roundabout with the brick, she's in that area. Very cool little spot to have a cooking class. Yeah, this is my 18th year offering unique culinary experiences. So what is your, like, to, first you offer classes for the general public to come learn yes. how to cook. Um 
how has that evolved from the beginning to now? Like, what did people want to learn 18 years ago? And like, what are they wanting to learn now? When I first started, my intention was to offer a cooking class, cooking classes to the general public, almost five days a week, um, and maybe a corporate event every now and then. Certainly things have flipped uh, completely where our hands-on in-person corporate team building events, um, that is really the thing, um, is, is to have folks come down, whether it's a dentist's office um, or Capital One or Harris-Williams, come down and do group team building. Uh, those, they're great. And then we offer a, an Iron Chef style class as well, too. So where they cook not from recipes, but from ingredients. That has, well, I have learned, that has evolved. <laughs> In the beginning, I just let, you know, here's some ingredients and go wild. And I realized, okay, not everything was edible <laughs> at all. I was going to ask you, because I feel like your business kind of started, I mean, the Food Network was popular in the nineties, but it really, mm -hmm. I feel like it really like took off in the late nineties, early two thousands with all these game show cooking shows. Everyone kind of thinks they know what they're doing because they see it done in seven minutes yes. on the show. Clearly that's not reality, even though right. we call it reality. Have you seen like the attitudes change of the people that walk into your, your business? Like I know how to make this cause you know, because I watched Emerald because did it very quickly. People did yeah. it. Yeah, I do. We do have guests who come in and, you could kind of tell who's the type A person. Right. I know how to do this, especially in the corporate, because we divide everybody everybody into smaller groups. So generally, everybody's on the same playing field. We go over all the basics, knife skills, safety, of course, um, and, and things like that. But you'll hear someone say, oh, I make this all the time, or... I know how to do this. So you can go ahead and chop this and then you can go and this is what we're going to do. Um, I have certainly had corporate clients who speak to me, whether they do it intentionally or not speak to me as if I don't know what I'm doing, uh, especially in the beginning. Uh, I think some of these corporate heads may have perceived me as someone who likes to cook, who decided to open up a little cooking school mm. to the point that I had to sit down at a conference table similar to this in their office and kind of give him my quick resume. You know, yes, you can say that you've dined in all of these places around the world. Um, maybe you got a tour of the kitchen, but I have been in these, like I have been behind the lines, you know, have, have you served 300 people in one sitting? I, I don't. And Julia Roberts. So. Yeah. yeah. And Julia and Roberts. I mean, you have not served My very pretty woman. first famous person that I, that I personally served was Dr. Ruth. Ah. <laughs> That's I orgasmic. I know, right? <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but yeah, there have been clients who, and you just kind of go with it. Mm. Okay, you, you can be as polite, um, whether it's to myself or my other chefs. Again, we've all worked, you know, around, across the country, around the world. And so that's just how they're going to be. Sure. Um, and you just kind of help guide, well, why don't you try this, you know? Or, yes, these are recipes, but they're just guides. They're just showing you a technique. Feel free to be creative. 
but we have to tell them how to uh, be moderate and be mindful that you're cooking not only for yourself, but for either your colleagues or maybe strangers if mm -hmm. you're coming to, say, you know, tomorrow night's What is a class. common mistake people make in the kitchen that you see often? Because I feel like you see a lot of people cooking and, or trying right. to cook. So I imagine there's like a couple of things that you see that you could say, oh, if you did this, it would make it easier. Well, I do, you know, the whole, the name of my business, mise en place, mm -hmm. you know, is a French term that is drilled in you in cooking school as well as when you're working on the line is to get all of your ingredients chopped and prepped and cleaned and ready to go before you start cooking. So if you're reading from a recipe, read the ingredients and read the procedure. Oh, that's what I'm doing wrong. So the that whole is thing the whole makes sense now. Thing, or even if it's from your mind. Now, granted, you know, can everyone do that 100% of the time? No. You know, for those of us that have, you know, kids or 5 million things going on, no. But if you can, you know, start working on that so that when you do make food, it's really just an assembly, you know, putting things together, uh, prepping earlier, the day before, yeah. um, whatever you can do to make it easier so that you're not sauteing garlic and onions and then, you know, on a high heat with olive oil and then realizing you have to go cut up raw chicken and everything starts to burn and smoke alarms go off and you're like, okay, I'm going to call Uber Eats. There, Nobody likes the burnt There are garlic. definitely times where there's been a recipe that I wanted to make and I do, I read the ingredients and I buy the ingredients and I set them all aside and then the night comes to make the meal. I start making the meal and the first thing is like, prepare this first portion and then put it in the fridge for 24 hours. I'm like, <laughs> right. Oh. Let this marinate. Oh, I probably should have read farther. Yeah. Dog. And I do the same thing. I am not a baker. Right, I am not a baker, but I do like to bake, and I'll, I'll do the same thing, and then I'll read. Oh my goodness, this is going to take <laughs> me like three days, or I have to roast this, and I have twenty minutes. Yeah. Right, I have twenty minutes, um, and, and yeah, so that's probably the biggest is that people want to get things done, and so you know, it's just you know, take take your time. Yes, and I think that what you do is really helpful because you can go and say, hey, I have no idea how to do this. Look at your classes and an hour or so. Um, you have now learned at least a first date right. cooked at home. You can do it from start to finish and you know what's up. You also are involved, and this I guess maybe is your fifth or sixth year, you're going to have to tell me, in Dinner en Blanc. Yes, we just celebrated our fifth event of Dine en Blanc, yes. Which That's is crazy. It's funny you said you didn't want to get involved in a French anything when we started this conversation. And, and now the name of my business is French. <laughs> and yeah, we do a lot of French techniques down there because that is sort of the... I know probably many other uh, countries will be mad, but that's kind of the birthplace of that's all the techniques that we learned. Just in, ask in Julia school. Child; she will tell you the, it's the kind of. I the know birthplace. I have a big poster, <laughs> so all the the pictures that I have downtown are from uh, the Times Dispatch archives. So I have Julia Child when she was in Richmond. I have James Beard when he was in Richmond, and then I have a cooking class from uh, Tallheimer's when they used to offer Which cooking. I think is so cool. Very it cool. It's very cool. So do you know what Dinner en Blanc is? Everybody wears white. That's everything you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's so much and bigger it's French. Than that. It's French, yes. Um, but 
it's a pretty big production you all it's do. It's a big, it's an international event. So it's been going on since 1983, started in Paris. Um, it is a chic outdoor picnic that's held at a secret location each you don't time. get to know till the day. And everybody you wears know. white, right? Everybody that Brings is, everything white. See, and everything it. is in white. So you bring your tables, your chairs. And it started with a couple in Paris who had gone away on vacation. They had come back. Um, they wanted to get together with some of their friends in a big open park. How are you going to find us in this park? Well, we're going to wear white. And that just transpired and um has been going on ever since um and yeah it's a secret location everything but it's luxury so it's plates like china real china no plasticware uh tablecloths linens and it's uh, we have different points throughout the evening we have a napkin wave to start off the um dinner there's a dj there's lots of entertainment but it's in over 85 cities around the world just go to you know YouTube and you can see the videos um, in this country in the US um, they brought it to the US to New York about ten, a little over 10 years ago um, but Philly has about 7,000 people Wow for we, one meal for one night it wow. was big this year this year we had 1500. We started with 800. We had 1,500, but we have about 9,000 on our wait list because registration is in waves. Okay. Um, so everyone gets an opportunity to um, come, but we have um, – the biggest one was in Paris for their 30th year anniversary. I want to say they had 17,000, so try to orchestrate 17,000. Where so was this past year's? Where was the secret Kanawa location? Plaza. Okay. Um, so we've started – first we were at um, – the Science Museum. Oh, that was our first night. We were along the railroad so cool. tracks, so that was very, very cool. Um, we have been at. Um, we shut down Arthur Ashe Boulevard. That was beautiful, right in front of the um, Virginia History Museum. That was gorgeous. Uh, then we went to Tredegar. Last year we were at Monroe Park, um, and then this year we were at Kanawha Plaza. So there's a 9,000 person waiting list in Richmond to get on. Is that what you said? Well, we get people from all over. Um, oh, so like a regional they thing. also offer it in. So we can go like anyone. You can be on the wait list for New York, for Honolulu, for wherever. Right. Um, but we do have people who travel, whether it's from Washington, D.C. does one, Baltimore does one, Charlotte does one, Wilmington does one. So, so if I want to do one next year, what do I have to do to, to I can, get on that send list? Your email. I can send you all the things because I can I can put you as a. Let's yeah. just say I'm Joe. Let's just say I'm Joe Q. Public, and I want, I'm listening to this. You have to, to go to podcast. the website and sign you up can, to get. Yeah, it. I, I didn't mean me. Sorry, I didn't be, mean me personally. So if anybody, you can. Go. <laughs> I don't wait in lines. <laughs> Let's be real. Let's be real. Come on. Yes, Scott goes get, where Scott. I wants. don't buy tickets. I don't wait in line. No, I'm just kidding. What, I can. I can help. If somebody um, wants, if somebody wants to attend this event, what do they have to do? They can go and put themselves on the waiting li on the list. On they can register. Um, if you just go to our Facebook page, it's Denayon Blanc Richmond, um, and it'll send you right to the link where you can just you know put your name on the list. The key is to know someone who has gone before. Gotcha. Because it helps. if you have gone before, then you get that first invitation, the Understood. first wave of Understood. registration. Very cool. Right. 
So that is, yeah. And is the menu secret as well, or is it No, we usually public? go with local caterers, so you can either bring your own. Um, you can either bring your own, or you can order meals. Everything is in pairs, so registration's in pairs. Um, so you can order. Uh, this year, we had Manchester's Table, so we had Janikin from Man- Manchester's Table, as well as Croker's Spot. And we have an e-store, so that's where you can buy your... Um, Food, your food baskets. Uh, you can also, uh, Chloe Wine is one of our sponsors, so you can uh, buy the wine because it is not BYOB. So all of your wine and champagne can be pre-ordered, and then you pick it up when you get there. Very cool. I'll have to check it out this year. It was the or drone footage on their Instagram is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, we had spark- this year we had fireworks. Um, Very cool sparklers. Very cool. So that's a, that's a lot of fun. There's it's a lot of neat. cool things. There's always that's the one thing about Richmond. I keep reminding my kids to you know now that they're in in high school and they are able to help me out at work, which is wonderful too. Um, but you know, I tell them I'm like you guys are growing up in a very cool city. You know, whether it's the outdoor scene, the food scene. You know, they love having a mother who is in the food scene because you know. What other kid gets to sit next to, you know, Mike Lindsay at ML Steak Soft opening and, you know, get a fist bump oh, and steaks. chat with them and, and um, you know, so they're like, that's kind of cool that you know. You're the cool mom. These, uh, Yeah. You're listening to Eat It Virginia with Roby Martin, Scott Wise, and the cool mom, Christine Wanslevin of Mise en Place. This episode of Eat It Virginia. <laughs> Eat It Virginia? <laughs> this episode of Eat It for <laughs> No! Oh, God, no.